I don't know if that was me or Austin, but we'll keep going and see what happens. All right, kids, come on up. If you want to come up for the children's message, I want you to come and have a seat up here with me. That was me. It doesn't matter how many times you test the microphone when church starts, they fail. Can you guys get me a new one ready? Um, just set it right here. Thank you. I'll try not to move my head much, and then we'll switch over when I start preaching. Man, what a healthy group of kids today. It's good to see you guys. It's stairs plus jungle gym sometimes. Come on up here and have a seat. Is that all the kids? Is that everybody that wants to be up here? Adults too? Good? Okay. You know, it's interesting. Um, I brought some hats with me today. And we wear hats for different purposes. If you were going to drive a motorcycle down the street and you were going to go down a particularly dangerous street, which of these hats would you choose? This one. Okay, don't put it on quite yet. Thank you. So you guys, how many would choose this hat? Would anyone want to wear this hat? What about this? This one looks pretty cool. This is my Indiana Jones hat. That goes everywhere and keeps you safe, right? This one. Now, what's interesting... This is one of my favorite fishing hats. It's got our church logo on it, so I really like it. This is good at blocking the sun, but if I fell off my motorcycle, this would not do anything. It would just fly off my head, right? But look, this one, this covers a little bit more. It, it blocks the sun from my head a little bit better. Look, that, but if I wore this on my motorcycle, it would probably fly off. And if I fell off my motorcycle, I don't think this would do much, right? Yeah? That's for a movie? Well, I wear it in, in other times too, not just when I'm filming movies. But this, this is my motorcycle helmet. Why is this so good to use when I ride my motorcycle? Hey, buddy, I'll go in the end. Yeah, so if I did fall off my motorcycle and my head hit the ground, it's pretty strong, right? It would protect my head because there's this hard shell on the outside and then all kinds of foam on the inside. Is there any other use for it when I ride my motorcycle? What, what else does it do? What? The, yes, the visor shields the sun. Sophie? Yes, bugs, they hit this thing and they don't go in my eyeballs. Okay, that's what you're going to say? You know, it's interesting. Do you know how I know that this helmet will protect my head if I fall off my motorcycle? Could it happen before? No, I have not done that before, <laughs> thankfully. But, did you know before they, before they send this out for people to buy, they test it? Not with real people, with fake people. Yes, with test dummies. And they drop it, and they hit it with hammers, and they put it on the ground, and then you can't see it anymore because I wore it off, but it has a special tag inside that has a certification. It says it's, it's certified that if I were to fall with a certain amount of force, that my head would be safe. So it's the testing that certifies to make sure it's safe. Now, did you know that God puts us through testing? Did you know that? That we go through difficult times we're tested, but you know what? It's not just like a school test to see if we're going to pass. God puts us through a time of testing 
to prepare us for what comes next. Did you know that? When we go through difficult times and we place our faith in God, we know that the next time we go through a difficult time, what happens? We're ready. And then as we go through a difficult time and we put our faith in God, the next time we're more ready for even more stuff. So as we walk with Jesus, we're stronger and stronger and stronger and ready to follow him and go through even more difficult times. So put your faith in Christ through the testing. Okay? All right. The word of the day is testing. Okay? Testing. Thank you, guys. You can go sit down. So yeah, when, when one uh, electrical things 101, AV 101, it doesn't matter how many times you test it before church. If it's going to fail, it's going to fail during church, but that's okay. If this thing fails, I'll just yell as loud as I can. You guys will be able to hear me. All right, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 20 today. Acts chapter 20. If you have a, a Bible, uh, take that out with me. This, the words will be on the screen as well. Um, take your phone out, your Bible, whatever you use. We're going to be in Acts chapter 20. We're covered 38 verses today, so buckle down and let's get ready to roll through this text. So in the, this part of the book of Acts, Luke, the writer, describes some of Paul's traveling on this third missionary journey. And so what I'm going to do, our first 16 verses is a description about Paul as he traveled from city to city. So I'm going to ask our guys up, up top there, if you guys could put on the map. Throw that map up there. You can just leave that map up there until I tell you otherwise. So you can kind of see where Paul's going. So um, it is a little bit hard to read. So I'm going to kind of catch you up, and then you can, you can watch from here. So Ephesus is in Asia, in the region of Asia. And then it's one of these red lines says Ephesus. There's a point there where we're going to start. So we're catching up with Paul in the city of Ephesus. And he's going to, Luke is going to describe Paul's journey from Ephesus all the way up through Thrace, Macedonia, down into Achaia, and then back around into the Ephesus area. So I just wanted to give you this map so you could kind of see these were real places. This is where Paul is being described as going. So as I read this text, it's going to be 16 verses, so it's kind of long, describing where Paul is going. So that noise is following me around today. I don't know. This is off, so this, one, this one's off. I don't think that's a monitor feedback issue. I'll just keep going, and if it gets bad, I'm going to turn this mic off, and I'm just going to preach it old school, okay? Um, so we're in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. After the uproar was over, you remember Paul created quite an issue in, in Ephesus as he preached the gospel uh, the silversmith Demetrius and others who pre uh, prepared idols for the people to worship didn't like that Paul was steering people to Jesus and away from idol worship. There was this big uproar in Acts chapter 19. So Paul now has moved past that. He's escaped their um, criticism and their, um, the difficulty there. And so now that's over. That starts in verse 1. After the uproar was over, Paul sent for the disciples, encouraged them, and after saying farewell, departed to go to Macedonia. So watch your map up there. You can see Macedonia. 
And when he had passed through those areas and offered them many words of encouragement, he came to Greece and stayed three months. The Jews plotted against him when he was about to set sail for Syria, and so he decided to go back up through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy and Tychicus, and Trophimus from the province of Asia. So Paul's found for himself quite a crew, right, of missionaries that are walking with him on this missionary journey. Verse 5, these men went on ahead and waited for us in Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread. In five days, we reached them at Troas, where we spent seven days. On the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. Paul spoke to them, and since he was about to depart the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. So on uh, Sunday, the day they gathered, first day of the week, they gather when the church gathers to worship God. Paul isn't going to see them again ever, and he knows this. So what he does is he's going to give them the super sermon. So I don't want to hear one complaint about long sermons, all right? I know I'm not the Apostle Paul, but he preached for a whole day, all right? So when I go about 10 minutes over, give me a break, right? All right, so, so Paul keeps preaching until midnight. Uh, verse 8, there were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were assembled, and a young man named Eutychus was sitting on a windowsill and sank into a deep sleep because Paul kept talking. So Paul keeps going. He preaches so long, he put Eutychus to sleep. None of you fall asleep during my sermon, so I'm so thankful for that. Just kidding. I see you when you fall asleep. All right, so when he was overcome by sleep, so it's, it's biblical to fall asleep during my sermons because Eutychus did it. Just kidding. Again, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. So be careful when you fall asleep during my sermon. There's lots of gold in this message today, okay? Verse 10. Paul went down, bent over him, embraced him, and said, Don't be alarmed because he's alive. After going upstairs and breaking the bread and eating, so they take a break at midnight. Paul talked a long time until dawn, so he kept going. Midnight, all the way until dawn. Then he left. Uh, verse 12, they brought the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, uh, where we were going to take Paul on board because these were his instructions, since he himself was going by land. When he met us, met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. Sailing from there, the next day we arrived in Chios. The following day we sailed or crossed over to Samos, and the day after we came to Miletus. Verse 16, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia because he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, for the day of Pentecost. So you see on the map where they went, and um, they're, they're in this town called Miletus. Now what's interesting about this, and I think it's really funny, um, Paul tells them, uh, meet me in Miletus, we're going there, we're not going to go to Ephesus which is about 20 to 30 miles away. Now, what's interesting, I don't know if Luke was laughing when he wrote this, but I think you'll laugh when I tell you what it, what, what's going on. Paul says, we're going to Miletus about 20, 30 miles away because I'm in a hurry to go to Jerusalem. I don't have time to go to Ephesus. Now, what's funny about that? Any of y'all have a friend in town? When you go by their house, you think, 
I really should stop and see them, but you have somewhere to go. If you know you stop and see your friend, you're going to be really, really late because you're going to talk with them for a long time. Anybody? Right? That's what Luke is saying here. Paul's like, I can't go back to Ephesus. Right? I don't have time. i got to get to Jerusalem. I don't have time for the Cuban goodbye that it's going to take for me to get out of that place again after last time I was there. So you, when you read that, you guys, you can think Cuban goodbye. Paul didn't have time for that. Ain't, ain't nobody got time for Ephesus right now. We're on our way to Jerusalem. I thought you guys would think that was funnier, but the Rodriguez I know why that's funny. And probably all the conks here as well. So that kind of picks up where we're at in the message today in, in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. It says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. So Paul doesn't have time to catch up with everybody at Ephesus, so he sends a message to them and says, listen, I want the pastors in Ephesus to come to Miletus 20, 30 miles away. Paul's going to give them his final words. So this is the last time Paul's going to see these guys, and we're going to talk about why in a few minutes. So he brings in all the pastors from Ephesus. He's going to sort of give them his parting words that he has for them. He's going to tell them three important things. And these are the three things that we're going to focus on today during the message. Number one, you need to fight through trials. Number two, you need to finish the course. And number three, you need to fear God, not wolves. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So Paul calls together the, the pastors of Ephesus, and he's going to give them this message, which is also applicable to you and I, believers living today. Look at verse 18. When they came to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. You know that I did not hesitate to proclaim anything to you that was profitable and to teach you publicly and from house to house. I testified both to Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. So Paul reminds the Ephesian pastors about three things that he did among them during his time as their preacher and missionary. Look first at verse 1, or at verse 18. The first thing Paul reminds them is that he faithfully served them with humility through all kinds of trials. You know, throughout the books of the New Testament that Paul wrote, he often referred to himself as Jesus' bondservant or slave. And he walked the walk, too. Paul followed the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Paul often put himself in harm's way to share the gospel. Several times throughout his ministry, many times, Paul risked his life to share the gospel with the same people who arrested and beat and stoned him. Oftentimes, Paul would have to, have to defend his calling from Jesus and his right to share the gospel, his right to be an apostle called by Jesus to go and spread the word to the very same people that he risked his life for. Paul would work long hours out in the marketplace as a tent maker and then go into that same marketplace and proclaim the gospel to the same people who would put him in jail and stone him and leave him for dead. Paul was a brilliant man. Scholars think he was one of the most brilliant men mentioned in the Bible today. 
And yet, he gave his life for Jesus. He gave his life as a missionary to proclaim the gospel to the lost who had not yet heard it. And so Paul faithfully taught the word in humility through trials. The second thing Paul reminds them that he did in verse 20 is that he faithfully taught them the word both publicly and privately. You see, Paul lived out a statement that he made in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. You see, he shared the story of Jesus from house to house. Paul shared the story of Jesus in the marketplace. He shared the story of Jesus in the synagogues. Paul spread the story of Jesus in some of the most well-known public venues of the day. He faithfully taught the word. He was unashamed of the gospel. He was unashamed to tell people about what Jesus had done in his life. And third, in verse 21, Paul faithfully shared the gospel with everybody. Jesus called Paul to tell the gospel and to share the story about him with everybody whom he encountered. In Paul's day, his mission to share the gospel with everyone is kind of radical. Today when we hear that, we think, yeah, that sounds great. That's what we're called to do, right? We're a great commission people. Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. Share the gospel with everyone. Everywhere we go, we're to tell people about him. Acts 1.8, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, right? That sounds normal to us, but in Paul's day, it wasn't normal. It was abnormal. In fact, his message was radical. It was one thing for Paul to go and to tell the Jews about the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, right? That was acceptable. It was even okay, maybe questionable, for him to tell the gospel to both the Jews and the God-fearers who were in the synagogues. But Paul didn't stop there. Paul took that message both to the Jews and to the God-fearers, and he took it outside of the synagogue, outside of their people group, and he took it to the Gentiles, the people whom many Jews hated and turned away from and despised. He took that gospel to everyone because Jesus died for everyone. And then while Paul was doing this, sharing the loving message from God that you could be saved through Jesus, no matter who you are, where you came from, who your parents were, how much money you made, all that. Then Paul went about the task of convincing believers that they all belong together in one family. The Jews, the God-fearers, and the Gentiles were all adopted into the family of God through Jesus. So not only did he have to proclaim the gospel and defend that he was telling the gospel message to Jews and Gentiles, then when they were saved, he had to meet with them again and show them that God desired for them to be a part of one family. That was no small task for Paul. He did that humbly and with joy and amidst much persecution and pain. Now church, this message isn't just for pastors and missionaries. This message is for the whole church. It's for you and it's for me. 
Every believer should emulate what Paul did through trials. So I'm going to show you three things that Paul did and communicate how we can do those and should do those as well. First, he faithfully served the Lord in humil- with humility through trials. We are called to faithfully serve the Lord with humility through trials. Philippians 2.3 talks about humility. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. What does it mean to be humble? It means we consider others more important than ourselves. Wow, church, that's pretty contrary to popular thought today, isn't it? When we are trained to look out for ourselves. To consider ourselves to be the most important person in the room. But God calls us to serve humbly. Looking to lift others up above ourselves. Considering them to be more important than ourselves. We are to serve that way even through trials. Now, a trial in the original Greek, as I communicated to our kids, is a time of testing. A trial is a circumstance that you walk through that God either directs you through or enables, allows you to walk through that was designed to refine your faith. A trial is a circumstance designed to harden your faith in Christ, to make you stronger as a believer in Jesus than you were before. Now, the trouble is, church, when we walk through a trial, the first thing to... uh, Uh, push up or, or come out of our hearts is pride. Is it not? When we go through a difficult time, that's when our pride comes out, right? It's easy to be humble when times are good, right? It's easy to push others above ourselves, to lift them up when times are good. It's when times are bad. It's when we walk through the refining moment and circumstance of a trial that our humility is tested. And our God calls us, as Paul did, to walk through our time of trial. Now, what is the benefit of being humble through trials? Why should we be pleased and count all joy in a time of testing and refinement, right? That doesn't feel good, right? Can you attest to that? A time of refinement does not feel good. Would anyone agree with that? Okay, so we all know. When you're walking through a trial, you're not, praise Jesus for this trial, right? We don't do that. We should do that, but we don't do that oftentimes. Oftentimes, we're broken, you know, and if there was dust and ashes poured on my head, this is horrible. How could you let me go through this, God? Why am I walking into this circumstance in this trial, right? That's how we get. Do you guys agree? No, I'm, the only, I'm not the only one. Okay, good. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 God tells us how to walk through trials and why they're good for us. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters. Everybody say joy. Joy. When times are good. Is that what it says? Oh, there it is. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. 
Here's the problem with us. This is us. This is our problem. We have too much pride, and our faith is too weak to withstand the trial. Instead of embracing trial and turning to the Lord for strength, we run and whine. And pride's ugly face demonstrates itself in our lives. But like Paul, we're called by the Lord to walk through various trials with humility and with joy. It doesn't mean you always walk around with a big smile on your face. We could recognize the trial. It's a difficult season. But at the same time, we know that we serve a God that has our very best future in mind, right? He's shaping us to be more like Jesus. He's using this life to prepare us for eternity. And so when we walk through a trial, we can consider that all joy, great joy. Because we can see that God is using that to shape our faith, to make us stronger in Christ, to give us endurance to last. And oh, that that strong faith would be used by God for his glory and for his kingdom. That God would find us worthy and use us the same way he used Paul to lay out our life for Jesus. When someone or something plots against us, instead of turning and running and whining, church, instead of doing those things, we should turn to the Lord and fall to our knees and ask for strength. And ask God that, that during that time of testing and trial and refinement, that we would approach that and walk through it with all humility. That we would see joy in the way that God is using us through difficult times. And that through that we would have endurance to last. And as we walk through that time of trial, that we would be stronger in Jesus than we were before more useful for God, fulfilling our purpose in a new way. And to that we quote Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. If you're walking through a time of trial today, I want you to hear this. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. And they will walk and not faint. Like Paul, number two, we should teach, preach, and share the gospel publicly and privately. Is your life characterized by Romans chapter 1, verse 16? Let me read it to you again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew, and also to the Greek. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Can you say that today? When I'm ashamed of something, I don't tell people about it. You know, one thing we're often ashamed of are our mistakes, right? You make a mistake, you ever made a mistake and you were ashamed of it and didn't want anybody to know about it? Let me give you a simple example. Have you ever tripped over a crack in the sidewalk and then wondered, 
or thought, I really hope nobody saw that. Anybody in here? And then what do you do? You're walking, you trip over a crack in the sidewalk. What do we do? We look around to see if anyone saw it. And then when they ask us if we're okay, I oftentimes feel ashamed. Like I just tripped over a like quarter-inch crack in the sidewalk, and I was ashamed of that. And so when we sort of stumble on a, a piece of something on the sidewalk. We don't want anyone to know about it. And then sort of at a deeper level, though, we make a lot of mistakes. Anybody in here a sinner saved by grace? Amen? We're all sinners, and I hope that you're saved by the blood of Jesus, by his grace. We make mistakes. If you don't believe that, turn to your neighbor and say, do I make mistakes? And then their smile or head nod should let you know that you do. Anyone that knows us long enough knows that we make mistakes. That's why Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day. Because we're mistake makers. And and so when we make mistakes, oftentimes we're we're ashamed of that. And and generally, we, we don't want people to know about it. So we keep our mouth closed, right? So when Paul says in this part of the text in Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. What does he mean by that? This is what he means. I tell everybody I know about the gospel because I'm not ashamed of it. Why am I not ashamed of the gospel? Look what he says next. Because it is the power of God for salvation for everybody who believes. I'm not ashamed of it because the gospel has the power to transform lives. It's not a dead message. It's alive and powerful, and it could change who you are at the very core today, tomorrow, and into eternity. That's the amazing message of the gospel. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That because of our sin, we're separated from God. But God loved us so much, he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. While he was on the cross, Jesus received the wrath of God for the sin of every person who ever lived or will live. Jesus' blood was shed on that cross as an atonement for sin. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried in the ground. Amen. He rose again on the third day. And now we have the invitation. That's the gospel message. An invitation to turn from our sin and place our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And a promise that everyone who believes will be saved. We're not ashamed of that message, right? Amen? 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 You need to hear it today. Say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Sometimes we need to say that, and we need to say it, and we need to say it to people, and we need people to say it back to us. Because when the rubber hits the road, and we're outside of this building, out there with our family and friends and coworkers, woo, we get ashamed of the gospel. The gospel isn't something for us to hide away in our hearts, like Mary treasured the memories of what Jesus did. The gospel is something that's to be proclaimed from the rooftops. It's a light that's supposed to be shared in the darkest places of humanity, including our own hearts. If we are unashamed of the gospel, we should leave this place and tell people about Jesus. The fruit of of not being ashamed, is sharing the message. Will you spread the story of Jesus in your house, with your family, 
Will you spread the story of Jesus at your workplace? Or does Jesus not belong there? Is Jesus welcome in your home? In your household conversations around your table? Is he welcome at Thanksgiving and Christmas in those places where you gather with your extended family who desperately need to hear the gospel and be saved? Is Jesus welcome in your workplace at the, at the water cooler or wherever you have your lunch? Is Jesus welcome at the park, the splash pad, the cruise ship, the fishing boat? Can he come? Or is he hidden away in your closet at home? That's not us. We are a people who are unashamed of the gospel, aren't we? We are a people who know that there's power in the message about Jesus. And that if they hear the gospel, and if they turn from their sin, and if they believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, they will be saved. We believe that, right? Amen. Like Paul, let us go from this place and let us share the gospel both, both privately and publicly and on whatever platform God gives us because we are unashamed. Fifth Street Baptist Church loves Jesus and we're not afraid to tell you about it. And then finally, third, will we faithfully share the gospel with everyone? Here's what the Bible says about God's desire for people to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. It says that God wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Wait, is that God just wants like really good people to be saved? God just wants a certain ethnicity of people to be saved? God just wants Americans or wealthy people or poor people? Everyone. God wants everyone to be saved. And if coming to salvation in Jesus requires for someone to hear the gospel, to read the gospel, somehow to be exposed to the gospel, then that means God wants everyone to hear, see, or be exposed to the gospel. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord does not delay his promise. That's in his returning. As some understand delay. The fact that Jesus hasn't come back yet has a purpose. It says in this text, But God is being patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So every hour, every day, every week, every month that, that Jesus waits, is an hour, a day, a week, a month for more people to hear the gospel and be saved. As God continues to fulfill his plan for all to hear the gospel and for many to be saved. God sent Jesus to die on the cross for everyone. Amen? No one is outside of God's grace. Amen? Nobody. If I can be saved, anybody can be saved. If you can be saved, anybody can be saved. Romans 10, 13, verse 10, 13 through 15 says this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about them? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. 
That's about you. That's about every time you shared the gospel with someone who desperately needed to hear it. How beautiful are your feet? How beautiful are you in the eyes of the Lord, you who share the gospel? And lead people to Christ. And through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, witness their life changed, their eternity changed forever. God desires for everyone to hear the gospel and to be saved. And if everyone who hears the gospel repents of sin and trusts in Jesus as Lord and Savior will be saved regardless of who they are or where they're from or what they've done, then why do we look at some people and, and assume that they'll never follow Christ? We do that. Maybe we feel the prompting of the Lord or the Holy Spirit and we look at that person. I've shared the gospel with that guy 25 times. He's never going to be saved. What if it was the Lord's will for him to be saved in time 26? Because we know he can be. Or we look at that woman who's, who's lived a, a rough life and very far from God and maybe feel that prompting of the Holy Spirit to go and have that conversation and we think she'll never have that conversation with me. And yet we believe in Jesus. We believe in the power of the gospel and we know that God desires for people to be saved. No one, no one, no one is outside of the grace of God. And God desires to use you in your conversation, your lips, your testimony to lead people to Christ. So when we leave this place today, we need to do those three things that Paul did. We need to walk through trials with humility. We need to take the gospel into every part of our lives, to every person in our lives, and to faithfully proclaim it. And finally, don't count anybody out, because God doesn't. So we're going to move into a time now of celebrating the Lord's Supper. I had a couple more points and some more scripture today, but I'm going to save those for next week. The Lord's Supper is something that Jesus commands us to celebrate. And we do it to remember him and to remember his sacrifice that he provided for us on the cross. Now he gives us some instructions for celebrating the Lord's Supper. The first thing we need to remember is celebrating the Lord's Supper is for born-again believers only. Only a believer who has placed their faith in Jesus can truly understand and appreciate what Jesus did on the cross. Now, we want you to be a born-again believer. And so in a, in a few minutes, we're also going to have an invitation. I want you to come forward so I can walk you through and take you on that path to following Jesus. But if you're not a believer yet, we want to ask you to not participate in the Lord's Supper. Just observe for today. Also, the word tells us that we're not to take the celebration of this ordinance lightly. That we're to take time to consider what we're about to do. So in a minute, we're going to play just a little music very briefly and give you a chance to pray and prepare your heart for what we're about to do together. If there's anything in your life that's preventing you from following Jesus, confess that sin to him now during this time and, and make your heart right with God. 
If there's a person in the congregation that you have something against or has something against you, it's time also for you to go to each other and make that right. But let's just take a minute here and prepare our hearts. If you've not yet received the Lord's Supper elements, those are in the foyer. So while we're doing this, you can also go to the foyer and collect those and then go back to your seat. Let's just take a minute now and prepare our hearts to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in memory of me. Now the juice. When the supper had ended, he took the cup and said, this is the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for you. Do this in memory of me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. We are unashamed of this gospel message because it has the power to transform our lives through what Jesus did for us on the cross. Today we remember the sacrifice that he made, his broken body and his shed blood 
so that we could be forgiven of our sins. Help us not to forget what you've done for us, our Holy Father, through the sacrifice, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. We're now gonna move in a time of invitation. So a few minutes ago, I challenged you as a church to be unashamed of the gospel and to proclaim it everywhere you go, to walk through trials with humility, and also not to count anybody out. So we're gonna give you a moment to respond to what God's doing in your heart. So if you've not been here before, in a second, we're all gonna stand up and sing a song together. If there's something that God's laid on your heart that you'd like prayer for, if you'd like to join this church or follow through with baptism or learn how you can follow Jesus, in a moment when everybody stands, I want you to come forward. Take a step of faith. Come forward. Let us pray with you. Let us encourage you. Would you all stand with me now as we enter this time of invitation?
worship today. We want to invite you back tonight at 6 o'clock as we have our evening services and we have things for children and youth and then everyone is in here with me. Let me close this in prayer and then you all will be dismissed for today. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you've given to us. You are a great God. You're so great and you're good and you're faithful and we thank you and ask you to help us as we leave this place to go out on mission, proclaiming the gospel, living for you and being a light in this community. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you.